Um, I'm going to continue in a similar vein tonight. I'm going to stay in that lane, but I'm going to take us uh, somewhat in a series within the series tonight because this, this one knows what I believe in every word should be this, but this really is a right now word. I believe it's going to meet you right where you are, and I think it's real in season for where some people are. So I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. And um, tonight we're going to pull the cover back on your enemy. Amen. And it's going to be insightful. It's going to help you to know uh, the direction uh, that, that, that the enemy has come in and uh, the direction he will try to come in, you name it. But I believe that it will bless us right where we are. Amen? Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. Uh, good for my youth to hear, good for my adults to hear. Uh, and I'm going to call this a bonus message. It really is uh, still inside of the curtain of genetics because how many you know, and our flesh dwelleth no good thing. Amen. So genetically speaking, the flesh has nothing good to offer. Uh, but who drives the flesh? Everybody say the devil. Yeah. Amen. The devil. So I'm going to give you my subject momentarily. But I, first I want to read this scripture to you. And then we'll see if it all fits and makes, makes good sense to you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 7. But if our gospel be hid, it is what? Hid to them that are lost. If the gospel be veiled, veiled. And what is the gospel tonight? The good news. If the, God, if the good news is hid, it is hid to them that are lost and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. Verse number six. For God who commanded the, what? Light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure where? In earthen vessels contained within our DNA, we have this treasure that the excellency of the power may be of who? Of God and not of us. How are you going to overcome your DNA? Verse number seven. We have this treasure where? In earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of who? Of God and not of us. So my DNA cannot, will not prevail because the DNA of God will overtake it. Amen? Amen. It will be of God and not of us. But tonight, I kind of want to give you a, a bonus lesson that is somewhat off the track, but still on the track of this whole concept of, of genetics. And um, then when I, when I teach to you again, I'm going to talk about your environment and things like that at a deeper level. But I know this word is for everybody here tonight. Verse number three again says, but if our gospel be hid, who's it hid to? Them that are lost. If the gospel be what? Hid. 
Notice this, the terminology in this verse. Look at verse number four. And whom Satan, the God of this world, has done what? Blinded. So you see words like what? Hid and blinded. He's blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan has done a good job of blinding us, not us, but the world or people. He's blinded us and hindered us from knowing our kingdom rights and knowing all that we have access. So to that point tonight, I want to talk from this subject. Ten things the devil doesn't want you to know. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, who the God of this world has done what? Blinded. We're going to talk about ten things the devil doesn't want you to know. Now, it is an oxymoron tonight, and I'm just going to go ahead and come down to the floor, because it's an oxymoron tonight, because we're going to talk about ten things the devil doesn't want you to know, but we're not going to talk about the devil. Isn't that hilarious? Because thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Everybody say, give Satan no glory. Amen. This is not going to be a testimony service of how powerful he is, how potent he is, how we need to be afraid of this, watch out for that. No, we are going to talk about your kingdom rights and privileges within those 10 things that he has done a good job of depriving God's people of. There's some things that God wants you to get, know, and have that Satan has just done, if we give credit to where credit is due, a good job of veiling it from us. But everybody say, after tonight, not so. <laughs> after tonight, not so. Now, in a way of an introduction, we have all heard the term hidden agenda. Hidden agenda. And now, hidden agenda implies a plan or a scheme that is in place to throw you off. When someone has a hidden agenda, many of you have worked with people who have had what? Hidden agendas, kind of cutthroat, right? Uh, or, or you go somewhere and, 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 you know, you have an adversary. You have a situation to where the real agenda is not what's spoken. It is a hidden agenda. And you kind of know it's there, but you don't really know the full throttle of it, the full nature of it, the full measure of it. And it's been put in place to get at you, to throw you off or cause you to be hindered from something that you could have had. Hidden agenda. If the gospel be what? Hid. All right. The gospel be hid. Uh, the God of this world has blinded. So Satan has tonight, saints, a hidden agenda. And what is that hidden agenda? He does not want you to have knowledge of all that God wants you to have. <laughs> John 10, 10 says, uh, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life. And how do I want you to have it? More abundantly. What is Satan's plan? To steal, kill, and destroy. What is God's plan? That you might have life and have it how? More abundantly. So now, right now, you are walking out one of two plans. You're either walking out Satan's plan or you're walking out God's plan. Satan had a hidden agenda the whole time. You're walking out his plan. How you know you're walking out his plan? You're struggling. You're going through. Are you in here? Things are not adding up. Things are not working out. Or 
you are taking authority and becoming victorious in every facet of your life. How many of you know it's God's will for you to win? Amen. So if it's God's will for you to win, tonight I'm going to show you how to overcome that hidden agenda. We're going to learn how to overcome that hidden agenda. Run over to 2 Corinthians, is where I think I want us to go. Chapter 2, verse number 11. And look at this thing. And we'll be going back to 2 Corinthians a little later on in the text too. But tonight, go to 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse number 11. And I love this because Satan has a hidden agenda. He has some things up his sleeve. But you're going to learn tonight 10 things, or at least a few of the 10, uh, that the devil doesn't want you to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11. What does it say, church? Lest Satan should get a what? An advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, or they're not hidden from us. To be ignorant of something means that you either ignore it or you didn't know. Had no knowledge that this was harming me this way. It'd be symbolic of somebody taking something or, for example, someone smoking all their life and they just didn't know that cigarettes cause lung cancer. Right? I'm ignorant to the fact. Well, once I read the Surgeon General's warning, (laughs) I realize that 75% of people who smoke get cancer. I now have knowledge, and I no longer have to be prey to this cancer that could have come. No lung cancer for me because I've come into the knowledge of what these cigarettes could do. So lest Satan could get a what over us? An advantage over us, for we are not what, church? Ignorant of his devices. Well, this is Super Bowl weekend. And I'm not going to bust your chops tonight. I'm not. I'm going to be so considerate. I see see Mike over there and Bridget from Atlanta, and I know they got their Falcon decals on their truck. And, you know, and I'm just not going to give you a hard time tonight. I I just know what I know, though. (laughs) I know what I tried to tell the Pittsburgh fans a couple of weeks ago. I know. I know what I tried to tell them. They wouldn't listen to me. Everybody got quiet. Even the musicians started playing all kinds, who, by the way, had his new baby today. Isn't that awesome? Amen. But um, I do want to use this game as sort of a platform to give you somewhat of an example. I want to drive home a point. The worst thing that could happen to any team this weekend is for the other team to get their playbook. Now, catch that. The worst thing, let's use, for example, the Falcons. The worst thing to happen to the Falcons, and I know some of y'all try to tease me. Yeah, Pastor, they do Patriots videotape people and all that kind of stuff. Whatever. They deflate balls, whatever, you know. But the worst thing that could happen to the Falcons is for Bill Belichick and Tom Brady to know what play they're going to call next. And see, that's what I'm going to do for you tonight as it pertains to the devil. I'm getting ready to show you that he's going to run a halfback sweep to the right. So don't defend this side. Move your whole defensive line over here. Because this is where he's coming. I'm getting ready to show you that he's going to throw a slant. Don't pull your secondary up. Put all your safeties and cornerbacks to the right of the field because if you stand right here, the ball's coming to you. 
Are you getting that? <clears throat> you will not be bamboozled another day in your life. He won't trick you. <laughs> he, come on. He won't get one over on you. He won't have you thinking, watch this, here's one of Satan's tricks, it's not even on my list. He won't have you thinking, you know, that, that God is just making you. That's why, after all, that's why he put that cancer on you, you know. God sent cancer because he wanted you to be better. Devil is a liar. When was the last time you went and pinched one of your children to make them better? Come here, Christian, let me punch you in the face because I want you to be a stronger man. I just want you better. Come here, Gabe. I'm going to body slam you. I'm going to suplex you because I, I just want you better. Gosh, Lauren, get over here. Let me kick you really hard. I, I want you better. No. No, no. You got a good father. And the attacks that come, come on, the attacks that come, they are of the devil. And I want you to see that tonight. Go over to 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. This is going to bless you. Because <clears throat> Satan's not going get to get an advantage. And we're just in the introduction, and I'm going to get in my 10 points. And I might get through five of them tonight, and will you come back next Thursday? Amen. So I won't rush them. I won't rush them, because you need to know 10 things the devil doesn't want you to know. That's I thought we was talking about genetics. Hang in there. Come on, we're still talking about genetics. We're still talking about the nature of your flesh. We're still talking about how the enemy will try you, all those kinds of things. And don't miss the next message because I'm going to show you how to change your environment. We talked about your environment changing you, but this is kind of a bonus message tonight. Ten things the devil doesn't want you to know. God downloaded this in my spirit for you. 1 John 3 and 8. He that committed sin is of who? The devil. For the devil does what? Sinneth from the beginning but watch this y'all and this is what tonight's all about for this purpose was the son of God made manifest that he might do what church destroy the works of the devil why did Jesus come why do you come to church why are you gonna come to church on Sunday why are you gonna stay in church to destroy the works of the devil that's why you keep giving. That's why you keep loving. That's why you keep doing right. Amen. You are looking to destroy the works of God because you live in a sin-flawed world. See, the world is flawed with sin. We live in Babylon. So every day, you got to, by default, just by waking up, you're going to be destroying the works of the devil because everything you pass is a suggestion. Everything you pass, you got the option to be discouraged. But when you choose joy, you are doing what? You got the option to be depressed because you hadn't got promoted yet. But, you know, when you have a out of them all, the Lord has delivered me. What, what, what kind of attitude is that? I am destroying the works of the devil. When you have a Nehemiah disposition that the Glen joy of the Lord is my strength, what am I doing? And y'all, Nehemiah said that right in the midst of the fight. Sambalot, Tobias, all these people coming up against them, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. They kind of trying to provoke him. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Every time he make those kinds of statements, he was destroying the works of the devil. And tonight I'm going to show you the enemy's playbook 
And as you learn his playbook, I promise you, if it's one CD I'd listen to over and over again, I'm not going to waste no time. I'm going to get in it. If you learn these scriptures over these next 10 points and you harness these points, I mean literally all year long, there won't be anything the devil can get away with. Because you do know every attack he brings in your life, he then owes you. See, a lot of people don't realize that. Anytime the devil hits me, I sue him. Because according to Proverbs 6 and 31, he owes me seven times. So I'm not going to come out and just recover. I'm coming out better. You attack my marriage, oh, you owe me. You attack my finances, you owe. Y'all, that's a spiritual principle. You attack my employment, I'm getting ready to make four times what I was making. You, you owe me big, my health. And he has attacked my health before. Yes, you're a pastor. But he had to pay. You owe me. So see, tonight, that's what we're going to get into. And I want you to see this because I want to unveil his playbook before you. So then, what then are the 10 things the devil doesn't want you to know or 10 things he doesn't want you to do? All of these 10 things will either be something the devil doesn't want you to know or something the devil doesn't want you to do. All right. The first thing, which is the most powerful thing, is he's already defeated. He does not want you to know that. How would the Patriots play on Sunday if they knew no matter what they did at the end of the game, they was going to be Super Bowl champions? You don't have to play hard. It's going to be a turn of events in the game. Like if somebody could show you the fourth quarter. See, in the first quarter, they're going to be fired up. They're going to be like, man, we got to play hard. We got to go out there. You guys cover your guy. You do, do what you got to do. The adrenaline's going to be rushing. But let them be up 40 points going into the fourth quarter. No, you taking the starters out. It's been real. Thank y'all. <laughs> I don't think I want to sprain my ankle. This, this is good. Uh, no need to play so hard. I'm coming now, if I'm Tom, I'm going to put a baseball cap on, and I'm going to sit right on down on the bench and drink some Gatorade and wait for the confetti. And with about two minutes left in the game, I'm going to go up the bill with a big Gatorade, and I'm going to dunk it on them. Because we wiped these guys out. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even worth fighting. It's not like two years ago when the Seahawks played the Patriots. Woo Boy, that was a tough one. Everybody was gasping in the auditorium. Oh, man. He dropped the ball. God. And that little fella, what, what's the guy, the neat quarterback from the Seahawks, the short guy? Um, yeah, Wilson. Man, every time you think you had him down, he'd take the ball and just whoosh. I said, would someone break his arm or something? <laughs> what in the world? Hit him. Get him out of the game. You guys cheating everything else. I said it. Take his arm off. He can't play without an arm. I don't mean that, y'all. For the record, I don't mean that. Don't break his arm. But, but if you knew, my point is, the verdict of the fourth quarter, would you be fighting so hard? Y'all, if you knew that Satan had been defeated over 2,017 years ago now, 
would you still be stressing over the stuff he brings in your life? What am I doing stressed out over an enemy that's already been taken out? And we talk about at Calvary, which is true, but y'all, since the foundations of the world, he was defeated. Before there was ever time, God was God. There was never anyone greater than God. So the first thing you need to realize is the devil is already defeated. How do we know that, Pastor Gabe? And you know, I give you scripture to back up what I say. Over in Matthew 28, <clears throat> verse number 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, how much power? Come on, you know that one by heart. Matthew 28 and 18, how much power? All power is given to me where? In heaven and in the earth. Y'all, Jesus won, period, point blank, that's it. No more fighting. And the only fight you got to fight now is the fight of faith. And that is the fight to believe that you already got the victory. To believe that in the fourth quarter, you are going to be up, you are going to get the ring, and there's going to be confetti for you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, see, this message really preaches itself because you don't even need any other points. I'm going to give you other points because I have more time. And I know people would be disappointed if I didn't. And you say, Pastor didn't study now. He didn't get before God. He just came with one point tonight. No, I was with him all day. I just spent time with the Lord. In fact, the Lord downloaded this in my spirit. And man, we got out on that patio. My wife would tell you, I just took the day with him. We just had a great, a, 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 a joyous time together. Right? And God just began to feed me. And he said, Gabe, this is what I want my people to know. He just took me scripture to scripture. But the first thing he told me to tell you is you are fighting an enemy that's already been beat. Y'all, look at the battle of Armageddon. When Jesus comes back, first of all, you've heard me say it, he's wearing white. If you look at soldiers, they wear camouflage to, to, to battle. Man, you don't go to no Iraq, Islamabad with no white on. You get shot right away. How you going to hide behind the trees and the bushes? You got all kinds of camouflage, face painted up and everything. No, he coming back in white. Because by the power of his mouth, he's going to tell the Antichrist where to go. There will not be a fight. There will not be Jesus hit him and he hit him back. That ain't how it happens, y'all. One hit, lake of fire. Amen. So Satan is already what, church? Defeated. Defeated. The second thing, which we see uh, at work already in the text that, that, that I kind of shared with you, but the second thing that Satan doesn't want you to know is his method of operation. First thing is that he's defeated. But the second thing is his playbook, how he operates. What is Satan's method of operation? I'll give you one word, deception. One word, deception. And I'm not just talking about you falling with a young lady now. I'm talking about everything Satan says is a lie. The Bible says he is the father of lies. That's why he tells people who are satanic, you are of your father. People who are, who are liars, you better watch out for a liar. If I could put any grades on sin, lying is like top. Top dog. A liar? 
In fact, Revelation says, don't be deceived, all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. That's how, that's how God feels. It's, it's one of the seven sins he hates. Liars just, whoo Well, Satan, that's who he is because that's his nature. DNA, that's Satan's DNA. So now if you are just a liar by default, you need to check whether or not you've been born again. If you lie by practice, you need to check about whether or not your DNA has transitioned. Are you a new creature? His, his, his primary method of operation, church, is deception. And what does that deception look like? You're going to die of this sickness. You're going to die of, uh, or you're going to go broke the rest of your life. You're, you're, you'll, you'll never get married if you're single, living right, being faithful. You'll never come into a harvest if you've been sowing seeds. You, you know, you went and gave that church all that money on First Fruit Sunday. Ah, you'll, you won't see that again. And he gets you to quit, and, and you don't have crop failure but you're just not there to reap your harvest. You know, there is a, there's an epidemic in the, in, in the nation right now, and part of it is because they're moving uh, illegal immigrants out. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm not going to share any opinions on that tonight, but they're moving illegal immigrants out. So a lot of the farming states don't have the workers to work the farm. So they're coming up with all this squash and crop and good crop but they don't have the manpower to harvest it. Which means that it wasn't that a seed wasn't sown. Glory. It wasn't that you didn't do any planning, but you didn't hang around long enough to get your harvest. How many people quit before time because of deception? His method of operation. Is this all right tonight? Run over to um, 2 Corinthians 11 and 4. You're not far from there. 11 and 14. 11 and 14. You got to know how your enemy operates. See, you start learning how he operates, you won't be so shook. I'll tell you the amount of times I've told my, my wife, oh, that ain't nothing but the devil. <laughs> you wouldn't be shook. You, you wouldn't be nervous, uh, uh, dying from worration. Wondering when and how, if, if should not be in the vocabulary of a believer. Is it going to work out? It's already worked out. It's not if, it's just when. Amen. It's, it's not even how. His ways are not my ways. I need a new car. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to get it. All I know to need to do is stand on it, believe for it, and know that if I remain faithful to God, what I'm believing for will come to pass. But Satan will put stuff in front of your eye to convince you that it might not happen. And since it might not happen, why don't you try to do it your own way, thus creating an Ishmael instead of getting an Isaac? Get out of the will of God. Do it your own way. Fix it your own way. Somebody's in jail right now because they fixed it their own way. Instead of holding their peace, letting the Lord fight their battle. Well, let's look at Satan's deception, his method of operation. 2 Corinthians 11 and 14. Do you have it, church? All right, let's read it together. Ready? Read. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into a what? Angel of light. Angel of light. One pastor says he, he knows how to look like an apostle. This is why so many people go to bad churches. I mean, just horrible. Because Satan knows how to transform himself into an angel of light. So you got to be mindful that just because an instrument can scream and there's just this rich 
quote unquote culture of praise. Well, you know, keep looking. <laughs> what are the real fruit? The real fruit is not the, the experience. They're in worship. What's the real fruit of integrity? What do you see? What do you know? Amen. Satan comes and he looks like an angel of light. His method of operation is deception. And he does not want you to know that. I'm telling you tonight, if you grabs hold of this, you won't. And I'm going to go out on a limb. And this is a powerful statement, but somebody's going to receive it by faith. You won't be discouraged another day in your life. Because you will know and believe the scripture that says all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. What you mean I got a flat tire? Well, it must mean that I got to wait here because somebody about to give me a $10,000 check. Well, all things work together. So God didn't want me to move too fast today. He, he knew. You see, on September 11th, you've heard me say it a thousand times, but this is true stories. Somebody left the coffee pot on and went back to turn it off. Did you know that? Those are true stories. I know a man personally who got hired for a job in the trade towers and was supposed to start two weeks before he was supposed to start, which was two weeks before September 11th. The company called and rescinded their offer. True story. Rescinded their offer. And he's broken. Oh, man, didn't get the job. Da, 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 da. I bet you two weeks and a day later he wasn't broken. Yo, that's a true story. Because all things work together for the good. So nothing, the enemy, no, 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 uh, if you will, decoy that the devil's sins can throw you off. Now, everything I'm sharing tonight, and here's the prerequisite, core requisite is a better word, is contingent on the fact that you are living right. Everything I'm sharing tonight is contingent on the fact that you're born again, doing things God's way. Everybody say walking in obedience. Because, by the way, there are some trials that I bring on myself. <laughs> Everybody say, God didn't do that. Proverbs 19 says it this way. Don't go there, verse 2 and 3. But it says, one man does foolish things and blames the results on God. <laughs> All right? So that's the only core requisite to this message is first things first. God, I'm in your will. I'm in your plan. And when I go through as a result of being in your will and in your plan, the only place I trump it up is to the enemy trying to test me and get me out. Yeah. Get me out of your plan. Tempt me. Try me. That's what he's trying to do. But how many of you know no weapon formed against you will prosper? I love it. What's the first one? Satan is already what, church? What is the second that you need to know? His method of operation. You need to know his playbook. He don't have any new tactics. No new tactics. He works through discouragement. He works through temptation. No new tactics. Condemnation. I can just mention three. No new tactics. When the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, Satan don't have anything new to present to you. It's not like he can just fly over you and out of nowhere drop a bomb on your head. He can't do that. He needs a natural body to operate in. This is why he'll raise himself up in people. He did it in Judas. Satan did what? Entered him. He needs a natural body to work. Wherever the devil's at work in your life, he's going to use a person. Did you know that? 
He needs a person. Sometimes, ooh, revelation knowledge. He will use a person that you don't even know he's using. I've said it a thousand times. There are people praying for you, but did you know there are people praying against you? Did you know that? No, he has to use a witch. He has, there are, in fact, we know this, this is documented. There are core witches that gather every week to pray against pastors. Did you know that? This is why churches should have intercessory prayer teams. Putting up hedges around their ministers. Because they're a witch, that's what they're there for. There's a bullseye. Because if you want to get the nation, get Malcolm X out of the way. You want to get the peace movement, get Martin out of the way. If you want to get a good church, no, get that preacher. Get that preacher. Yeah. I can hit one of them in the back. <laughs> we won't know that they fell in immorality. Nobody hears about that. But I got to get that preacher on the front page of the newspaper. Right. I got to get some leaders to let the devil use them. Are you in here? Everybody make this proclamation. Satan will never use me. Come on, say it again. He'll never use me. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you to tell your neighbor, I don't know about you. No, you know about your neighbor. He's not going to use them either. We're a loving church. But he'll never use me. I'll never bring reproach on the kingdom. We see all these national newscasts, and I can say this stuff so tastefully, but some of the stuff even recently in the news, well, Satan gets glory out of that. Yeah. Some of that stuff you've seen happen in recent news, great pastors and stuff, well, quote-unquote great, but people dying, all this kind of good stuff. Oh, please. That's, right. That's what the world needs right. to indict the church. Now every time you have a conversation, guess what they get to say? But what about... What about? <laughs> All right, they just take your money down there. What about? No, God needs some lamps. He needs some people who will say to themselves, I'll be the last man standing. You can trip, fall, dip, do whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, I'll be the last man standing. Everybody shout, not me. Cheat on my wife, not me. Mm -mm. Abandon my children, not me. <laughs> mm -mm. Buy into the enemy's lie, not me. Because the wages of sin is still, but the gift of God is eternal life. We buy into the devil's schemata all the time. Well, we don't, but they do. The world does. And y'all, it doesn't end well. You know, I've counseled individuals like this, and this is so good in my practice, even before I became a pastor, and I've counseled people, and some people have gotten just enraged, mad at me in sessions before, but I've always been honest, and they'll be coming to counseling, and they'll be in quote-unquote premarital counseling, and we'll do some history, and I know this is God tonight, because it's going to help somebody. This is a truth moment. I'll do a history on them, and they'll start talking about some things, and I'll say, so tell me, guys, how'd you meet? And this is before they get married. How'd you meet? Well, you know... Tom was in a marriage. Um, we met one another while working at da 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 da, da company. 
And, you know, he was just the nicest guy. So every now and again, we'd go have coffee. We do, And they'd be so casual with it. We'd do thus and so. We, you know, and, you know, finally Tom decided to move out from Laura. You know, he left his wife. And, you know, ever since we've been kind of living together, kicking it. And we just thought we wanted to make this right. Y'all remember the prices, right? Doot, 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 doot. And, and I'd be saying to myself, I'm about to become their worst enemy, and they don't even know it. Because I'm not going to hear this and not just, yeah, let's just walk y'all right up. In fact, why don't I do the marriage for you? You know, not only a licensed therapist, I'm a preacher. Why don't we just do an in-office marriage? I mean, what do you do with that? No, break up. <laughs> the devil is alive. Amen. I mean, break up. Well, what about our love for each other? What about your infatuation Amen. for each other? What about that's not love because God is love. And since God is love, he would never tell a man to leave the love of his life and go with you because that's not what God is. And God is not the author of confusion. God is love. And if you want to do it right, break up. But as we say with Jesus, you ask a hard thing. That's too, too difficult. Yeah, that's too difficult. But then, y'all, I'm telling you, and I'm just going on record just to let you know this. They get married. They do it. Because, you know, you can't tell grown people what to do. They get married. And then, you know, they stop coming to see you. And I cannot tell you, and I don't boast in this. I'm not a big told you so guy. But I am a loving guy. And I am right because God is right. And four years, I see the same couple again. And what Joanne thought she was getting from Laura. Didn't quite turn out the way you thought it would. And I don't smile and I don't laugh at them like we're doing right now. I just don't do that because, you know, I'm having compassion. But I do kind of, in a roundabout way, by the third session say, no, I did tell you, though. I, I told you three years ago. Remember I told you? Sometimes it's when I'm one-on-one -on -one with Joanne. No, I told you he was an alcoholic. No, I, no. no we talked about that for you. Because it's always, and this is what's so big about Satan, and you need to get this, that deception, it's always, I had no idea. Yes, you did. Somebody tonight, yes, you do. You have an idea that if you stay on this path, it's not going to work out. If you don't turn to Jesus, if you don't get in a good church, if you don't do the things of God, it's not going to work out. You have an idea. You have an idea. It's happening right before your eyes. Don't make a bad decision. Don't let him change trick you choose life everybody shout choose life, choose life. In book of Deuteronomy they say behold I place before you life and death choose life now I have an idea college student that you know if you go to that club one more time I have an idea that somebody might slip you a mickey I have an idea that you just might get drunker and they might do some things to you that wouldn't have been done to you if you were in your right mind we have an idea so his method of operation we spent a lot of time on that but if you've been blessed shout hallelujah come on 
Number one, he's already defeated. Number two, his method of operation. I love number three, uh, you're already healed. <laughs> Ten things the devil don't want you to know. And, and, and by the way, don't sign off on this if you're not physically sick because it can be emotional too. No, you're not depressed. By his stripes, you're healed of bad emotions. What? You don't, no, you don't have anxiety. And you will not have anxiety for the rest of his life. Come on. Well, I want you to see this principle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. 1 Peter 2 and 24. Come on, let's run there. And you're going to love this. <laughs> you're already healed. 1 Peter 2 and 24. That you've heard these terms before, but faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ten things the devil don't want you to know. If you got bad DNA tonight, and we're going to talk about this one night specifically, how many of you know DNA, uh, a health trait, i.e. dad had diabetes, doesn't mean you got to have it too. Grandfather had prostate cancer, and they say it skipped a generation. Well, it's going to skip my generation. And while I'm at it, it's going to skip my son's generation. I'm not leaving any demons for them to fight. We are breaking generational curses. We are not coming in alignment with the enemy. I'm already healed. I don't care what they say about most African-American men or women, whatever the statistics are out there. I have already been healed. I'm not about to get sick. Come on. I'm going to die in peace. Amen. When it is time. But 1 Peter chapter 2 Verse 24, he who his own self bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we being what to sin? Dead, y'all. Cassie, dead to sin also means dead to the sins of your DNA, to the tactics of the enemy. We are dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Now look at the past tense verbiage. By whose stripes ye Instead of whose stripes you are going to be healed. God's not going to do anything. By his stripes you were healed. Now, if your faith is not at a were level, let's figure out another term you could use. Go to Isaiah 53 and 5. <laughs> Amen. Because you might not be at were yet. There are levels and types of faith. So I'm going to give you the same scripture, but I'm going to give it to you in present tense. Is that all right? This is good stuff. Isaiah 53 and 5. Somebody shout, I'm already healed. Do you know that's powerful? Because that means, and this is such a strong statement, that means you don't have to be sick another day in your life. Being healed of sickness is not God's best. Never getting sick is God's best. And see, all we got to do is take the veil off. And we'll stop living beneath our privileges. Yup, I've battled sickness before. And anytime I've battled it, I realize in this moment, I'm beneath my privileges. Gabe, you need to resist the devil so he can flee. What are you doing with an itchy throat? You're not supposed to have an itchy throat. I've taught with itchy throats before. And we're going to resist the devil. Because I can't get this message out with an itchy throat. Weak and struggling. That's not God's will. Now, the religious people will tell you life just happens. You get colds. I think it's amazing. I'm not going to mention the name of the hospital, but one of the hospitals has gotten so, so personal with this thing that they say we don't treat the condition. We, we treat the person. 
So, I mean, it would offend me if they had my name in, in sickness. But you look at the billboards on, on 277 and 85, and, and for stomach flu, Tom. They put your, Tom, they put your name right on the flu. Yeah, you, you probably going to get the flu. Don't be naming me after the flu. Keep me and the flu separate. I thank God it's no automatic conditions in Gabriel. The only thing in Gabriel is an angel. Amen. Keep me away from it. You know, I believe I'm catching. Well, put your hands down. Put your hands out to catch something, no? I'm coming down. I'm coming up above. I'm not coming down with anything. Devil is a lie. And we've gone over that principle before. In fact, I shared Pastor Rondi's message with you on how to not let the flu catch you. I sent it out on a church email. God said, send this out to God's people. And, you know, if you listen to that message, he gave you principles similar to ones I gave, which is why I sent it, because it was so identical on how to not let sickness get you. You're already healed. It's flu season. No, it's health season. And stop proclaiming it. Your words are so powerful. Power of death and life is still in the tongue. Amen. Look at this thing. By his stripes we were healed, were healed. But look at Isaiah 53 and 5. You're going to overcome your DNA tonight in terms of your health. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised or crushed for our iniquities, I like this translation, the chastising of our well-being fell where? Upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now take your pick, were or are? Both work. Are present tense. Were past tense. Take your pick. What I love about it, Miles, is neither one of them said, and by his stripes you will be healed. You're going to be healed. Satan doesn't want you to know that, though. He wants you to spend months and months in an ICU unit. He wants you to struggle. He, he wants you to have to, you know, on vacation. Thank you, Holy Ghost. And, and I'm not being insensitive. Many of us have family members like this, and I've shared this with family members, but I'm a faith teacher, so really get this. He wants you to have to find the nearest dialysis clinic. You know, while you're at Disney World and, and you're supposed to be enjoying and watching your kids, you know, if you do that kind of thing, or Universal Studios, watching your kids go on rides and all that kind of stuff, you got to get a special medical badge so you can cut out. So you can cut out, leave them at the park, go do your three hours, then you're pooped, you're tired, and come back only to kind of just fake it and weather through it. This is getting good. Satan doesn't want you to know that Jesus took on all those stripes so you wouldn't have to do that. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know you are healed. So when sickness or something comes or an itch comes or a rash comes or whatever comes, man, you, you need to stomp that thing out by standing in your posture and stating and declaring the word of God until it goes. And this is so good. And this is a revelation I came into. One of the reasons why some of us end up getting sick and sicker and sicker is the devil preoccupies you with the cares of this world so you don't have time to resist. You don't have time to stay in prayer. You're so busy with a thousand things. So by the time you get through all of that, your nose really is running. You really are catching up. I've had that happen with my own children. 
And I've taken the hit for it and said, you know, I just didn't take the time to resist this. I've done it with my son on so many occasions that he come down with something, get down in his bed, and man, we're going to sit right in here and we're going to break this fever right now. Because either this fever is right or God is right. And if Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law's house and cured her of a fever, then I believe he goes to the Rogers household too. That's not fanatical. That's not outside of the box. Y'all, that is simple Christianity that the enemy has stripped the church from its power. And that's one of the reasons why you don't need to just go to this big, great Megatron church where they don't teach you these principles. Instead, they teach you how to cope with it because after all, life happens. The devil is a liar. That's the easy way out. Life happens. That easy, I call it easy preaching. That's just the way it is sometimes. According to who? According to what doctrine? Where did you get it from? And, and then we'll take a piece of a story. You know, everybody loves Job who wants to claim sickness and disease. Yeah, oh, they love him. Book of Job or Book of Job, or however you pronounce it. <laughs> but they love it. Oh, man, Job was sick so long. You know, he's just sick so long, and the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. Just take that passage and write it. Ooh, just love it. Oh, Job even says stuff like, I want to go to the place where the wicked will cease from troubling, and the weary soul will be at rest. And you taking a passage where Job was extremely discouraged and applying it to your situation. That's why you got to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And you'll stop speaking death over yourself because Job got corrected for speaking like that. He got rebuked. God reined him in. And if you read the end of his life, he got double for his trouble. The Bible says that. Double for his trouble. Double. It became better. Who do you know in Scripture that placed the demand on their faith and on the word of God that did not get results. Take King Hezekiah speaking of sickness. He's sick on that bed. He's about to die. In fact, God sends the word, get your house in order. You're coming to heaven. Hezekiah, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Let me turn to this wall now, God. I've been faithful. I've done it your way. Walked up right before you see how I feared you all my life and you're going to let me die like this. Okay, wait a minute, prophet. Before you get out of the courtyard, turn around. His faith has placed the demand on my ability. So y'all going to get that later. See, some trials in your life, and I know this is God, they can end before their accounted time or appointed time if you allow your faith to place demand on God's ability. That's what happened with the woman with the issue of uh, of blood. There was no set day for her. She decided today Jesus is in town. I've been six, 12 years. I don't care what they say. I ain't supposed to be in the crowd, but I'm getting healed today. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. I'm going to find him. I'm going to get to him. I'll give you another example of a sick person. Blind Bartimaeus was not in order to be healed, but the Bible said he cried out even the more, Hey, Jesus! I don't care what all the people say, shh, uh-uh, y'all ain't going to hush me up. I can't see. Y'all can see. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, look here. I can't see nothing. I want to be, I ain't studying these people. They can see. 
touch my eyes, do something, spit on them, whatever you want to do, but heal me. Did y'all catch that? Are you getting the urgency of faith? I'm telling you, I've done that before. Put demands on it. Over at the counseling center, when they told me no, <laughs> my face said, whatever. Y'all going to rezone this? Pat McCory City Council, here I come. Over here on this property, when they said it won't be ready by November 13th, whatever. That's my birthday. You haven't gotten the memo. We are going in. <laughs> On my birthday. And the city, the county, the, the government, they don't run God. That's right. They don't run the precepts of God. And see, God had me minister this tonight because some of you in this church, you need to place demands on your faith. You're not waiting on God in some things. God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you as it pertains to your health. God is waiting on you to decide, I don't like this quality of life. I, you know, I want to be able to run a marathon. Well, praise the Lord. Come on, place demands on that achy knee and command your knee to operate the way it's supposed to. You know? No, I enjoy working out. What do I look like being afflicted? Come on. Place demands on it. So what's the third promise or the third thing Satan doesn't want you to know? You're already healed. Now, I love number four. <laughs> the fourth thing he doesn't want you to know, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 through 11. I hadn't used this passage to preach this principle before, but I want to use it tonight. Are you enjoying the word? Ten things the devil don't want you to know. Let's see if we can at least get five out tonight. Then you meet me again on next week, Thursday, because I'm just so tired of God's people losing. If the gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are lost. I didn't spend a lot of time on that. But what is the gospel? The good news. How do you feel about good news being out there about you, but you never get the memo? Let me use this for an example. Tashia Laverne, you got an inheritance. You had a loved one passed away. They left you four million dollars. Now, there you go, going down there to the whatever else, and I'm saying this for the whole church, and you just working hard, you putting in 70 hours a week, overtime, got two and a half jobs, trying to make life happen, and you, you done had money in an interest-bearing account all your life, and you turn up around 68, and they finally tell you. Like, somebody need their head cut off. Some, somebody need to be in trouble. Y'all didn't tell me before now I had this inheritance? Well, the Bible says it is your inheritance. Right. It is your heritage. It is the heritage of the saints. The Bible uses verbiage like that. It's your inheritance. You have inheritance, and we're going to get there in a second, in heavenly places that, Pam, if we tap into it, the victory. Pam, you used to come when we had Bible study in the practice, Right? And so nice sitting over there. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is when it gets good. Um, in those days, there was nothing inside of me that was believing God for a storefront. Amen. Amen. I, I had 25 seats in there, and the logical next step for a new church is a good storefront. So they say. But they don't. They, don't, they didn't write this. 
stop going off of what they say. What does the Bible say? My father is rich. Come on. We're getting ready to go to the next point. I don't have to move into any, and we didn't either. Nowhere near. Come on. And it's only going to get better and better. I told you about the next new church we, we're going to build when, you know, you're hearing the airplane flying over. That's how I'm going to come to Bible study. I'm going to jump out of a plane and parachute down and the ceiling going to open up like one of these football stadiums or something. No, nah, I'm not going to do all that. But my point is, it's going to be state of the art. It's going to get better and better. Because that's where my faith is. Well, that's such a good example. You know, down in Atlanta, for you Falcons fans, they're building Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and it can open and close. It can do all that kind of good stuff. And I'm not against these people. But why does the world have to have the absolute best in everything while God's people are just so satisfied with just the, just give me the, you know, there was a deacon in my mom's church, an older man. You know, he'd start shouting. And when he started shouting, he, he would just say, the hus, the hus, the hus, the hus, the hus, the hus. And he'd shake his hand back and forth, the hus, the hus, the hus. And I said, Mom, what is the man saying? She said, the hus is the part of the grits that be left over on the side of the pan. He's saying, God, don't give me the good grits, just give me the hus. No, don't give me the hus, give me the grits. And give me some bacon and eggs and pancakes and hot chocolate and coffee. I want it all for breakfast because, God, you are not a hus God. You are an abundant God, a God of overflow. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want my cup runneth over. Don't give me the hus. Somebody shout, give me the best. Good lead into the next point. Because, see, you being broke, busted, and disgusted is not helpful. I know you're trying to be humble, but it's actually, and watch this, and hear it in good taste, because we all go through seasons and stuff. And so I've been in my poor season before, my hard place season, and I'm not making light of it or making fun of anybody, so don't misunderstand it. But people who just embrace lack, what you are actually doing is almost arrogant. Because how are you going to help somebody else if you in lack? It's not just about you building a big house, which is fine to do, but how are you going to have overflow so that you can put uh, new speakers up? See, we got a church full of overflow. The next time we, we do a first fruit offering, it'll pay the whole building off. Easy. Because now you are able. There are people in this church right now. If you were able, man, you changed the whole history of this ministry tonight because you'd be able. And I'm not saying this because we're money-hungry people. Y'all know that's not my method. We lean on the Lord over here. Amen. But my God, what, what, what would happen if you could write a $20,000 check without wanking. Watch, watch how I'm going to say this. Not on a special offering Sunday, on a Bible study night. You just came to Bible study and you just feel like being a blessing. Nobody knows it. You're just going to get an envelope and you know you're smiling because you're saying, I'm getting ready to mess the finance committee up. They're going to get in the back and and you know you're not prideful about it, but they're going to be calling me. They're going to Well, that's a good lead into the fourth thing that the devil does not want you to know is you are already rich. 
Glory to God. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9 through 11. If I was a politically correct pastor, I wouldn't teach this, but I'm not. So I may as well teach it the way God gave it to me, and I don't want to build it up in some fancy verbiage. You're already doing well. You're, no, you're already rich. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9 through 11. God's not going to do anything. Now, this verse is definitely talking about money specifically because Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about being generous. But I want you to see a key principle in this because it's something Jesus did so that you could be rich. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 through 11. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was what? Rich. What was Jesus? Jesus what, church? Okay. Yet for your sake he became poor. Why did he become poor? So that by his, by his poverty he could make you rich. He became poor so that by his poverty he could make you what? Now it's like ragu is in there. The only thing you could do with that scripture is, well, well, that ain't what he meant. Well, let's keep reading. Because he's talking about money. Because a lot of people read this and they say, well, the spiritual riches. So, you know, God wants to make you rich spiritually. He wants you to be rich in the spiritual things because you're so spiritually rich now. You have the deep revelatory things of God. You have been made rich. Hogwash. That's not what this scripture means. This scripture is talking about money. Okay? And if you're uncomfortable with money, you got 13 minutes of it because that's what we're going to talk about for 13 minutes. Verse number 10, Paul says, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. You know what he's saying in verse number 10? Don't stop sowing. Even when it don't look like harvest has happened yet, don't you dare pull back the rain. Don't change nothing you've been doing. That doesn't mean that you don't have a budget. That doesn't mean that you don't have a system. How I many you know we all should have a 401k and all those kinds of things? But he says, continue in what you've been doing. Now look at verse number 11. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your what? Giving, give in proportion to what you have. Given proportion to what you have. Now, you are already rich. This point right here is to encourage a seed sower. Because Satan is good at hiding your harvest. Better stated, Satan is good at convincing you that no harvest is going to come. First the ear, then the blade, then the harvest. Then he tells you, get the sickle out, Mark chapter 4, because the full harvest has come. So you got to learn how to look at the ear and know there's more to come. <laughs> the ear, you get a discount on your car repair. You're like, but God, I just gave $1,500, God, and I know. No, that's the ear. <laughs> God, God, God ain't nowhere near finished. Here come the blade. 
you get an opportunity and make a few dollars, you, you make $600 doing something, and you didn't know that opportunity was coming. Okay, that, that's great. God, but that cannot be a harvest on 1500 I know that's not a harvest. Because my harvest can never be less than. But what Satan does is he plays games with you. This ain't working. Honey, that thing don't work. Mm-mm. Forget all that extra giving. No, never mind. You ain't even seen the harvest off of the 10K yet. You hadn't seen thus and so off of that yet. You sure that's good ground? <laughs> you sure what you're sowing into? You know, do you know what you're really doing? That's Satan's tactics. You sure you really want to tithe? Is tithing for today? See, like those new books they come out with? But what God wants you to understand is, is if you keep working those principles over and over again, by sowing in every season, what will happen in every season? You will reap and harvest in every season. Little sowing, little harvesting. Much sowing, much harvesting. Satan doesn't want you to know that, though. He doesn't want you to know you're already wealthy. Your father is rich in houses and land. And if your dad is rich in houses and land, what does that say about you? Not the servant, the son. Did you know, even if you don't have six zeros behind your bank account right now, did you know you have access to trillions that you can lay hold to any day? If he fed the children of Israel with manna from on high, what do you think he could do with your faith? With your belief? Let me see if I can ask this question. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. I'm not trying to shame anybody. But has anybody in here ever got to an end of a year and your income didn't match what you were able to do? I hear some people laughing, so you, you raise your hand by default. But your, yeah, your income didn't, yeah. That's harvest. It's working. And see, you keep doing it, and before long, giving the way you want to give is no longer a sacrifice. It's just exciting. You just be like, man, today I'm just going to give five grand. I just want to. And what I'm going to do, I'm rich. And and I got a curveball for you because I've been teaching faith all night, but I'm not rich by faith. Okay, let me say it this way. How many people in here would like to get to a place in your life to where you don't have to be rich by faith anymore? You can use your faith on something else. Okay, I, I don't need it for that no more. I got that. Praise the Lord. And he's going to do more, but no, I'm already. Let me get back on my point. I shouldn't talk about that too much. I might offend somebody. But I'm trying to get you to understand this principle, Kingdom Church, and visitors. If you work it, Satan doesn't want you to know that. That's why he tells you, you've been generous, but keep being generous because though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. That's what he wanted to do. And in this case, it's not spiritual. The fifth and final thing for the night, I got seven minutes and 50 seconds, and we're going to stop. And I love this one. The fifth thing, and we'll pick up with this on next Thursday if the Lord lets me, that Satan does not want you to know is your position in the spirit realm. 
Real quick, come on, Ephesians 1, 20 through 25. Satan does not want you to know your position in the spirit realm. Everybody say authority. He don't want you to know. He don't want you to know where you are postured in the spirit realm. <laughs> he doesn't want you to know it. What is my position? Some of you are in upper management. Now, what do you look like being in upper management, letting somebody you're managing tell you what's going to happen next? And you're in upper management. And you're the COO of the company, but they're telling you how operations are going to go. Better stated, you're the CEO. I mean the final say on anything that comes across your desk. But you're getting permission from people who work on the front line. That's what you do when you work with demons giving them all that permission to run your life. Keep you depressed, keep you down and out, keep you poor, broke, busted, and disgusted. Keep you sad, keep you regretting the day that you were born. The devil is a liar. I know my position. Let's look at it in scripture. Now this is going to throw you off at first because the first Ephesians 1 doesn't mention us. Listen to what he says, Ephesians 1, 22-25, which he wrought in Christ, real quick, when he raised him from the dead and set him at where? His own right hand in heavenly places. Who's he talking about right now? Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand. None of us are at the right hand of the Father. But verse 21, far above where? Now, you got to remember verse 21 for where I'm about to take you. Because he put Jesus where? Above where? All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the world, but in the one that which is to come. Then verse 22, I like the New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now let's see where we're sitting. <laughs> Go to Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. This is why you don't have to be sick. This is why you don't have to be poor. This is why you don't have to be sad. This is why you don't have to be distraught. This is why you don't have to worry about a thing. And somebody's going to get this revelation, and I'm telling you, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and stuff's going to be different. Because it's a revelation Satan doesn't want you to have. So if Christ is seated in heavenly places, where are we sitting, though? And if he's above all principalities, Tony, what are we above? Let's figure it out. Ephesians 2, 5 through 7, and I'm done. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. I like verse 6. And God raised us up. And see, you, you got to have your Bible open again. Because God raised us up together with Christ and seated us where? In heavenly places where? Where are you seated? I got a curveball for you. You're seated with in. Did you get that? You are seated with in. Let's keep reading. In order that the coming ages, he might display the surpassing riches. There's the riches of his grace. Riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us where in Christ Jesus. Now, in Ephesians 1, verse 21, Jesus was far above what? Somebody's with me tonight. And powers, 
and dominions, every name, come on, you got it. He was far above, and you could almost stop at principalities because that's what you deal with in this world. You deal with municipalities at different levels. There are at least four levels in the, in the spirit. Uh, wickedness in heavenly places, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and principalities. And you deal with them on a daily basis. Those are who try to hinder your prayers. Those are who try to keep you sick. Those who try to get your child wayward. Those who try to throw things off on your job. But the Bible says that we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. And just like all things are under Jesus' feet, where should all things be under concerning yours? Ask your neighbor, where are you sitting? <laughs> Y'all, that's the final point for tonight. Satan does not want you to know your position in the spirit realm. I don't care who comes in here possessed. I would never fear what's inside of them. Amen. I'd never clam up like, oh boy, here we go. Amen. No, loose your hold and go in Jesus' name. You have no authority. You have no authority. Who do you think you are to stand in God's house in front of a man of God and manifest a demon? Amen. He ain't get up out of here. Because I'm seated in Christ. In heavenly places. Above all principalities. And it's not just me. That is not a pastoral scripture. That's a believer's scripture. And how many people does Satan knock upside their head and they just take it because they don't know their posture? We didn't deal much with DNA, but don't worry, I'm not done with genetics. But man, you're above your genetics. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're unemployed. It don't matter. You're employed in the kingdom because I've never seen the night just forsaken nor his See, do what? Beg for any bread. That's a promise for you right there. You won't beg to have lunch. You won't beg to eat. Are you kidding me? What's your posture? And see, there's one thing for us to have that posture or that position. It's a whole nother thing for us to operate in that authority. I'm going to give you a quick example, and then we're going to close. All of us have been through this if you worked in corporate America. But how frustrating is it to work underneath somebody who won't activate power in their department? Some people going through it right now. You know what it does to the department? The morality tanks. More, yeah, it, it goes down. All the way down. People get frustrated. You know, Debbie comes in whenever she wants, but the supervisor is Sally. She ain't going to say nothing to her. We just got to pick up her workload. She ain't going to do nothing. She ain't going to write her up. But you need to start writing the devil up. You need, you need to give the devil a verbal. Come on. No, I, I run this house. I didn't say God, by the way. I can take you to Psalm 115, the, the world he's given to us. Did you know that? We're going to talk about it next week. But y'all, God.